0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, another great tale from Howard Pyle's The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood. This one called, Robin Hood Turns Beggar. And now, our story. After Jolly Robin had left Little John at the forking of the roads, he walked merrily onward in the mellow sunshine that shone about him. Ever and anon, he would skip and leap or sing a snatch of song, for pure joyousness of the day, for, because of the sweetness of the springtide, his heart was as lusty within him as that of a colt, newly turned out to grass. Sometimes he would walk a long distance, gazing aloft at the great white swelling clouds that moved slowly across the deep blue sky. Anon he would stop and drink in the fullness of life of all things, for the hedgerows were budding tenderly, "'and the grass of the meadows was waxing long and green. "'Again he would stand still and listen to the pretty song "'of the little birds in the thickets, "'or hearken to the clear crow of the cock daring the sky to rain. "'Whereat he would laugh, "'for it took but little to tickle Robin's heart into merriment. "'So he trudged manfully along, "'ever willing to stop for this reason or for that, "'and ever ready to chat with such merry lasses as he met now and then. "'So the morning slipped along.' but yet he met no beggar with whom he could change clothes. Quoth he, If I do not change my luck in haste, I am like to have an empty day of it, for it is well nigh half gone already, and although I have had a merry walk through the countryside, I know naught of a beggar's life. Then, after a while, he began to grow hungry, whereupon his mind turned from thoughts of springtime and flowers and birds, and dwelt upon boiled capons, malmsey, white bread, and the like with great tenderness. Quoth he to himself, I would I had Willie Winkin's wishing coat. I know right well what I should wish for, and this it should be. Here he marked upon the fingers of his left hand, with the forefinger of his right hand, those things which he wished for. Firstly I would have a sweet brown pie of tender larks, mark ye, not dry cooked, but with a good sop of gravy to moisten it withal. Next I would have a pretty pullet, fairly boiled, with tender pigeon's eggs, cunningly sliced, garnishing the platter round. With these I would have a long, slim loaf of wheaten bread that hath been baked upon the hearth. It should be warm from the fire, with glossy brown crust, the color of the hair of mine own maid Marian, and this same crust should be as crisp and brittle as the thin white ice that lies across the furrows in the early winter's morning. These will do for the more solid things." "'but with these I must have three potties, fat and round, "'one full of Malmsy, one of Canary, "'and one brimming full of my own dear lusty sack.' "'Thus spoke Robin to himself, "'his mouth growing moist at the corners "'with the thoughts of the good things "'he had raised in his own mind. "'So, talking to himself, "'he came to where the dusty road "'turned sharply round the hedge, "'all tender with the green of the coming leaf, "'and there he saw before him "'a stout fellow sitting upon a stile, "'swinging his legs in idleness. "'All about this lusty rogue dangled diverse pouches and bags "'of different sizes and kinds, a dozen or more, "'with great, wide, gaping mouths, like a brood of hungry daws. "'His coat was gathered in at his waist, "'and was patched with as many colors as there are stripes "'upon a maypole in the springtide. "'On his head he wore a great tall leathern cap, "'and across his knees rested a stout quarterstaff of blackthorn.' Full and long and heavy as Robin's. As jolly a beggar was he as ever trod the lanes and byways of Nottinghamshire, for his eyes were as gray as slate, and snapped and twinkled and danced with merriment, and his black hair curled close all over his head in little rings of kinkiness. Hello, good fellow, quoth Robin, when he had come nigh to the other, what art there doing here this merry day, when the flowers are peeping and the buds are swelling? Then the other winked one eye, and straightway trolled forth in a merry voice. I sit upon the stile, and I sing a little while, as I wait for mine own true dear. Oh, for the sun is shining bright, and the leaves are dancing light, and the little fowl sings she is near. And so it is with me, bully boy, saving that my doxy cometh not. Now that is a right sweet song, quoth Robin, and were I in the right mind to listen to thee, I could bear well to hear more. But I have two things of seriousness to ask of thee, so listen, I prithee. At this the jolly beggar cocked his head on one side, like a rogue of a magpie. Quoth he, I am an ill jug to pour heavy things into, good friend, and, if I mistake not, thou hast few serious words to spare at any time. Nay, quoth Jolly Robin, but I would say first is the most serious of all thoughts to me, to wit, where shall I get somewhat to eat and drink? sayest thou so? quoth the beggar, Mary, I make no such serious thoughts upon the matter. I eat when I can get it and munch my crust when I can get no crumb, likewise, when there is no ale to be had, I wash the dust from out my throat with a trickle of cold water. I was sitting here as thou camest upon me, bethinking myself whether I should break my fast or no. "'I do love to let my hunger grow mildly keen ere I eat, "'for then a dry crust is as good to me as a venison pasty "'with suet and raisins is to stout King Harry. "'I have a sharp hunger upon me now, "'but methinks in a short while it will ripen to a right mellow appetite. "'Heh! <laughs> now in good sooth,' quoth Mary Robin, laughing, "'thou hast a quaint tongue betwixt thy teeth, "'but hast thou truly naught but a dry crust about thee?' Methinks thy bags and pouches are fat and lusty for such thin fare.' "'Why, mayhap there is some other cold fare therein,' said the beggar, slyly. "'And hast thou not to drink but cold water?' said Robin. "'Never so much as a drop,' quoth the beggar. "'Over beyond your clump of trees is as sweet a little inn as ever thou hast lifted eyelid upon. "'But I go not thither, for they have a nasty way with me.' "'Once, when the good prior of Emmet was dining there, "'the landlady set a dear little tart of stewed crabs "'and barley sugar upon the window-sill to cool. "'And, seeing it there, and fearing it might be lost, "'I took it with me, till that I could find the owner thereof. "'Ever since then they've acted very ill toward me, "'yet truth bids me say that they have the best ale there "'that ever rolled over my tongue.' "'At this Robin laughed aloud.' "'Mary,' quoth he, "'they did ill toward thee for thy kindness. "'But tell me truly, "'what hast thou in thy pouches?' "'Why,' "'quoth the beggar, "'peeping into the mounds of his bags, "'I find here a goodly piece of pigeon pie, "'wrapped in a cabbage leaf to hold the gravy. "'Here I behold a dainty streaked piece of brawn, "'and here a fair lump of white bread. "'Here I find four oat and cakes, "'and a cold knuckle of ham. "'Ha!' In sooth, 'tis tis strange. But here I behold six eggs that must have come by accident from some poultry-yard hereabouts. They are raw, but roasted upon the coals, and spread with a piece of butter that I see. "'Peace, good friend!' cried Robin, holding up his hand. "'Thou makest my poor stomach quake with joy for what thou tellest me so sweetly. "'If thou wilt give me to eat, I will straightway hie me to that little inn thou didst tell of but now.' "'and will bring a skin of ale "'for thy drinking and mine.' "'Friend, thou hast said enough,' "'said the beggar, "'getting down from the stile. "'I will feast thee with the best I have "'and bless St. Cedric for thy company. "'But, sweet Chuck, "'I prithee bring thee quarts of ale at least, "'one for thy drinking "'and two for mine, "'for my thirst is such "'that methinks I can drink ale "'as the sands of River Dee drink salt water.' "'So Robin straightway left the beggar.' "'who, upon his part, went to a budding lime-bush "'back of the hedge, and there spread his feast upon the grass "'and roasted his eggs upon a little fire, "'with a deftness gained by long labor in that line. "'After a while back came Robin bearing a goodly skin of ale "'upon his shoulder, which he laid upon the grass. "'Then, looking upon the feast, spread upon the ground, "'and a fair sight it was to look upon. "'He slowly rubbed his hand over his stomach, "'for to his hungry eyes it seemed the fairest sight "'that he'd beheld in all his life. "'Friend,' said the beggar, "'let me feel the weight of that skin.' "'Yea, truly,' quoth Robin, "'help thyself, sweet Chuck, "'and meantime let me see whether thy pigeon pie is fresh or no.' "'So the one seized upon the ale "'and the other upon the pigeon pie, "'and nothing was heard for a while "'but the munching of food and the gurgle of ale "'as it left the skin.' At last, after a long time had passed thus, Robin pushed the food from him and heaved a great sigh of deep content, for he felt as though he had been made over all anew. We'll return with our story, Robin Hood Turns Beggar, right after these sponsor messages. And now back to our story. And now, good friend, quoth Robin, leaning upon one elbow, I would have at thee about that other matter of seriousness of which I spoke not long since. How? said the beggar, reproachfully. Thou wouldst surely not talk of things appertaining to serious affairs upon such ale as this. Nay, quoth Robin, laughing, I would not check thy thirst, sweet friend. Drink while I talk to thee. "'Thus it is. I would have thee know "'that I have taken a liking to thy craft, "'and would fain have a taste of a beggar's life "'mine own self.' "'Said the beggar, "'I marvel not that thou hast taken a liking "'to my manner of life, good fellow, "'But to like and to do "'are two matters of different sorts. "'I tell thee, friend, "'one must serve a long apprenticeship "'ere one can learn to be even so much "'as a clapper-dudgeon, "'much less a crank or an Abraham man.' I tell thee, lad, thou art tool to enter upon that which it may take thee years to catch the hang of. Mayhap, that may be so, quoth Robin, for I bring to mind that gaffer swanthold saith Jack Shoemaker maketh ill bread. Tom Baker maketh ill shoon. Nevertheless, I have a mind to taste a beggar's life, and need but the clothing to be as good as any. I tell thee, fellow, said the beggar, if thou wert clad as sweetly as good St. Winton, the patron of our craft, thou wouldst never make a beggar. Mary, the first jolly traveller that thou wouldst meet, would beat thee to a pudding, for trusting thy nose into a craft that belongeth not to thee. Nevertheless, quoth Robin, I would have a try at it, and methinks I shall change clothes with thee, for thy garb seemeth to be pretty. For not only will I change clothes, but I would give thee two golden angels to boot." "'I have brought my stout staff with me, "'thinking I might have to wrap "'some one of the brethren of thy cloth over the head "'by way of argument in this matter. "'But I love thee so much for the feast thou hast given me "'that I would not lift even my little finger against thee, "'so thou needest not have a crumb of fear.' "'To this the beggar listened with his knuckles "'resting against his hips, "'and when Robin had ended, "'he cocked his head on one side "'and thrust his tongue into his cheek. "'Barry, come up. "'quoth he at last, "'lift thy finger against me forsooth. "'Art thou out of thy wits, man? "'My name is Rickon Hazel, "'and I come from Holywell, "'in Flintshire, "'over by the River Dee. "'I tell thee, knave, "'I have cracked the head "'of many a better man "'than thou art, "'and even now "'I would scald thy crown for thee, "'but for the ale thou hast given me. "'Now thou shalt not have "'so much as one tag-rag of my coat. "'Even could it save thee from hanging. "'Now, fellow,' said Robin. It would ill suit me to spoil thy pretty head for thee, but I tell thee plainly, but for this feast I would do that to thee that would stop thy travelling for country for many a day to come. Keep thy lips shut, lad, or thy luck will tumble out of thy mouth with thy speech. Now out, and alas for thee, man, for thou hast bred thyself ill this day, cried the beggar, rising and taking up his staff. Take up thy club and defend thyself, fellow, for I will not only beat thee, "'But I will take from thee thy money, "'and leave thee not so much as a clipped groat "'to buy thyself a lump of goose-grease "'to rub thy cracked crown withal. "'So defend thyself, I say.' "'Then up leaped Mary Robin, "'and snatched up his staff also. "'Take my money, if thou canst,' "'quoth he. "'I promise freely to give thee every farthing "'if thou dost touch me.' "'And he twirled his staff in his fingers "'till it whistled again. "'Then the beggar swung his staff also, "'and struck a mighty blow at Robin.' "'which the yeoman turned. three blows the beggar struck, "'yet never one touched so much "'as the hair of Robin's head. "'Then stout Robin saw his chance, "'and ere you could count three, "'Rickon's staff was over the hedge, "'and Rickon himself lay upon the green grass "'with no more motion than you could find "'in an empty pudding-bag. "'How now?' "'quoth Mary Robin, laughing. "'Wilt thou have my hide or my money, "'sweet Chuck?' "'But to this the other answered never a word.' Then Robin, seeing his plight, and that he was stunned with the blow, ran, still laughing, and brought the skin of ale, and poured some of it on the beggar's head, and some down his throat, so that presently he opened his eyes, and looked around as though wondering why he lay upon his back. Then Robin, seeing that he had somewhat gathered the wits that had just been wrapped out of his head, said, "'Now, good fellow, wilt thou change clothes with me, or shall I have to tap thee again?' "'Here are two golden angels, if thou wilt give me freely "'all thy rags and bags, and thy cap and things. "'If thou givest them not freely, "'I much fear me I shall have to—' "'And he looked up and down his staff. "'Then Rickon set up and rubbed the bump on his crown. "'Now, out upon it,' quoth he, "'I did think to drub thee sweetly, fellow. "'I know not how it is, but I seem, as it were, "'to have bought more beer than I could drink.' "'If I must give up my clothes, I must. "'But first promise me, by thy word as a true yeoman, "'that thou wilt take naught from me but my clothes.' "'I promise on the word of a true yeoman,' "'quoth Robin, thinking that the fellow "'had a few pennies that he would save. "'Thereupon the beggar drew a little knife "'that hung at his side, and, ripping up the lining "'of his coat, drew thence ten bright golden pounds, "'which he laid upon the ground beside him "'with a cunning wink at Robin.' "'Now thou mayst have my clothes in welcome,' said he, "'and thou mightest have had them in exchange for thine, "'without the cost of a single farthing, "'far less two golden angels.' "Very," quoth Robin, laughing, "'thou art a sly fellow, and I tell thee truly, "'had I known thou hadst so much money in thee, "'maybe thou mightst not have carried it away, "'for I warrant thou didst not come honestly by it.' "'Then each stripped off his clothes "'and put on those of the other.' "'and as lusty a beggar was Robin Hood "'as e'er you could find of a summer's day. "'But stout Recon of Holywell "'skipped and leaped and danced "'for joy of the fair suit of Lincoln Green "'that he had so gotten. "'Quoth he, "'I am looking truly good now. "'Truly, my dear Maul Peascut "'would never know me in this dress. "'Thou mayst keep the cold pieces of the feast, friend, "'for I mean to live well and lustily "'while my money lasts and my clothes are handsome.' "'So he turned and left Robin.' "'and crossing the stile was gone, "'but Robin heard him singing from beyond the hedge "'as he strode away. "'For Polly is smiling and Molly is glad "'when the beggar comes in at the door, "'and Jack and Dick call him a fine lusty lad, "'and the hostess runs up a great score. "'Then hey, Willie Wadigan, stay, Billy Wadigan, "'and let the brown ale float free, float free. "'The beggar's the man for me.' "'Robin listened till the song ended in the distance.' Then he also crossed the stile into the road, but turned his toes away from where the beggar had gone. The road led up a gentle hill, and up the hill Robin walked, a half-score or more of bags dangling about his legs. Onward he strolled for a long time, but other adventure he found not. The road was bare of all else but himself, as he went kicking up little clouds of dust at each footstep. For it was noontide, the most peaceful time of all the day. Next to twilight... "'All the earth was silent in the restfulness of eating-time. "'The plough-horses stood in the furrow munching, "'with great bags over their noses holding sweet food. "'The ploughman sat under the hedge, and the plough-boy also, "'and they, too, were munching, "'each one holding a great piece of bread in one fist "'and a great piece of cheese in the other. "'So Robin, with all the empty road to himself, "'strode along whistling merrily, "'his bags and pouches bobbing and dangling at his thighs.' At last he came to where a little grass-grown path left the road, and, passing through a stile and down a hill, led into a little dell, and on across a rill in the valley, and up the hill on the other side, till it reached a windmill that stood on the cap of the rise where the wind bent the trees in swaying motions. Robin looked at this spot and liked it, and, for no reason but that his fancy led him, he took the little path and walked down the grassy, sunny slope of the open meadow, and so came to the little dingle, and— ere he knew it, upon four lusty fellows that sat with legs outstretched around a goodly feast spread upon the ground. Four merry beggars were there, and each had slung about his neck a little board that rested upon his breast. One board had written upon it, I am blind, another, I am deaf, another, I am dumb, and the fourth, Pity the lame one. But although all these troubles written upon the boards seemed so grievous, The four stout fellows sat around feasting as merrily as though Cain's wife had never opened the pottle that held misfortunes and let them forth like a cloud of flies to pester us. The deaf man was the first to hear Robin, for he said, Hark, brothers, I hear someone coming. And the blind man was the first to see him, for he said, He is an honest man, brothers, and one of like craft to ourselves. Then the dumb man called to him in a great voice and said, Welcome, brother. Come and sit while there is still some of the feast left and a little malmsey in the pottle. At this the lame man, who had taken off his wooden leg and unstrapped his own leg, and was sitting with it stretched out upon the grass so as to rest it, made room for Robin among them. We are glad to see thee, brother, said he, holding out the flask of malmsey. Mary! quoth Robin, laughing, and weighing the flask in his hands ere he drank. Methinks it is no more than seemly of you all to be glad to see me, seeing that I bring sight to the blind, speech to the dumb, hearing to the deaf, and such a lusty leg to a lame man. I drink to your happiness, brothers, as I may not drink to your health, seeing ye are already hail, wind, and limb. At this all grinned, and the blind beggar, who was the chief man among them, and was the broadest shouldered and most lusty rascal of all, smote Robin upon the shoulder, swearing he was a right merry wag. Whence comest thou, lad?' asked the dumb man. "'Why,' quoth Robin, "'I came this morning from sleeping overnight in Sherwood.' "'Is it even so?' said the deaf man. "'I would not for all the money we four carrying to Lincolntown "'sleep one night in Sherwood. "'If Robin had caught one of our trade in his woodlands, "'he would, methinks, clip his ears.' Methinks he, he would, too,' "'quoth Robin, laughing. "'But what money is this that ye speak of?' "'Then up spake the lame man. "'Our king, Peter of York,' said he, "'hath sent us to Lincoln with those monies that—' "'Stay, Brother Hodge,' quoth the blind man, breaking into the talk. "'I would not doubt our brother here. "'But bear in mind we know him not. "'What art thou, brother? "'Upright man? "'A jerk man? "'Clapper Dungeon? "'Dommerer?' "'or Abraham man.' "'At these words Robin looked from one man to the other "'with mouth agape. "'Truly,' quoth he, "'I trust I am an upright man. "'At least I strive to be. "'But I know not what thou meanest by such jargon, brother. "'It were much more seemly, methinks, "'if you dumb man, who hath the sweet voice, "'would give us a song.' "'At these words a silence fell on all, "'and after a while the blind man spoke again.' "'Quoth he, thou dost surely jest when thou sayest "'that thou dost not understand such words. "'Answer me this. "'Have you ever beaten a man or gallant upon the highway "'for the money in his purse? "'Now, out upon it,' quoth Robin Hood testily, "'and you make sport of me by pattering such gibberish. "'It will be ill for you all, I tell you. "'I have the best part of a mind to crack the heads of all four of you, "'and would do so, too.' "'but for the sweet malmsy you have given me. "'Brother, pass the pottle, lest it grow cold.' "'But all the four beggars leaped to their feet "'when Robin had done speaking, "'and the blind man snatched up a heavy knotted cudgel "'that lay beside him on the grass, "'as did the others likewise. "'Then Robin, seeing that things were like to go ill with him, "'albeit he knew not what all the coil was about, "'leaped to his feet also, and, "'catching up his trusty staff, "'clapped his back against the tree,' And stood upon his guard against them. How now? Cried he, curling his staff betwixt his fingers. Would you force stout fellows set upon one man? Stand back, ye rascals, or I will score your pates till they have as many marks upon them as a pot house door. Are ye mad? I've done you no harm. Thou liest," quoth the one who pretended to be blind, and who, being the lustiest villain, was the leader of the others. "'Thou liest, for thou hast come among us as a vile spy. But thine ears have heard too much for thy body's good. And thou goest not forth from this place, unless thou goest feet foremost. For this day thou shalt die. Come, brothers, all together, down with them!' Then, whirling up his cudgel, he rushed upon Robin as an angry bull rushes upon a red rag. But Robin was ready for any happening. "'Crack! Crack!' "'he struck two blows as quick as a wink, "'and down went the blind man, "'rolling over and over upon the grass. "'At this the others bore back "'and stood at a little distance scowling upon Robin. "'Come on, you scum!' cried he merrily. "'Here be cakes and ale for all. "'Now who'll be the next served?' "'To this speech the beggars answered never a word, "'but they looked at Robin as great blunderbore "'looked upon stout Jack the Slayer of Giants.' "'as though they would fain eat him, body and bones. "'Nevertheless, they did not care to come nigher to him and his terrible staff. "'Then, seeing them so hesitate, Robin of a sudden leaped upon them, "'striking even as he leaped. "'Down went the dumb man, and away flew his cudgel from his hand as he fell. "'At this the others ducked to avoid another blow. "'Then, taking to their heels, scampered, the one one way, and the other the other.' "'as though they had the west wind's boots upon their feet. "'Robin looked after them, laughing, "'and thought that he'd never seen so fleet a runner as the lame man. "'But neither of the beggars stopped nor turned around, "'for each felt in his mind the wind of Robin's cudgel about his ears. "'Then Robin turned to the two stout knaves lying upon the ground. "'Quoth he? "'These fellows spake somewhat about certain monies they were taking to Lincoln. "'Methinks I may find it upon this stout blind fellow. "'who hath this keen sight as e'er a trained woodsman "'in Nottingham or Yorkshire. "'It were a pity to let sound money "'stay in the pockets of such thieving knaves. "'So saying, he stooped over the burly rascal "'and searched among his rags and tatters, "'till presently his fingers felt a leathern pouch "'slung around his body beneath his patched and tattered coat. "'This he stripped away, and, weighing it in his hands, "'bethought himself that it was mighty heavy. "'It were a sweet thing,' said he to himself, if this were filled with gold instead of copper pence. Then, sitting down upon the grass, he opened the pocket and looked into it. There he found four round rolls wrapped up in dressed sheepskin. One of these rolls he opened. Then his mouth gaped and his eyes stared, as though they would never close again. For what did he see? But fifty pounds of bright golden money. He opened the other pockets, and found in each one the same. Fifty bright new stamped golden pounds. Quoth Robin, I have oft heard that the Beggars' Guild was over rich, but never did I think that they sent such sums as this to their treasury. I shall take it with me, for it will be better used for charity and the good of my merry band than in the enriching of such knaves as these. So saying, he rolled up the money in the sheepskin again, and putting it back in the purse, he thrust the pouch into his own bosom. Then, taking up the flask of Malmsey, he held it toward the two fellows lying on the grass, and, quoth he, Sweet friends, I drink to your health, and thank you dearly for what you have so kindly given me this day, and so I wish you good den. Then, taking up his staff, he left the spot and went merrily on his way. But when the two stout beggars that had been wrapped upon the head roused themselves and sat up, and when the others had gotten over their fright and come back, they were as sad and woebegone as four frogs in dry weather. For two of them had cracked crowns, their malmsey was all gone, and they had not so much as a farthing to cross their palms withal. But after Robin left the little dell, he strode along merrily, singing as he went, and so blithe was he, and such a stout beggar, and withal, so fresh and clean, that every merry lass he met had a sweet word for him and felt no fear, while the very dogs, that most times hate the sight of a beggar, snuffed at his legs in friendly wise and wagged their tails pleasantly, for dogs know an honest man by his smell, and that honest man Robin was, in his own way. Thus he went along till at last he came to the wayside cross nigh Allerton, and, being somewhat tired, he sat him down to rest upon the grassy bank in front of it. "'It groweth nigh time,' quoth he to himself, "'that our getting back again to Sherwood,' yet it would please me well to have one more merry adventure ere I go back again in my jolly band. So he looked up the road and down the road to see who might come, until at last he saw someone drawing near, riding upon a horse. When the traveller came nigh enough for him to see him well, Robin laughed, for a strange enough figure he cut. He was a thin, wizened man, and, to look upon him, you could not tell whether he was thirty years old or sixty. "'so dried up was he even to skin and bone. "'As for the nag, it was as thin as the rider, "'and both looked as though they had been baked in Mother Huddle's oven, "'where folk are dried up so that they live forever. "'But although Robin laughed at the droll sight, "'he knew the wayfarer to be a certain rich corn engrosser of Worksop, "'who more than once had bought all the grain in the countryside "'and held it till it reached even famine prices, "'thus making much money from the needs of poor people.' And for this he was hated far and near by every one who knew aught of him. So, after a while, the corn and grocer came riding up to where Robin sat, whereupon Merry Robin stepped straightway forth, in all his rags and tatters, his bags and pouches dangling about him, and laid his hand upon the horse's bridle rein, calling upon the other to stop. Who art thou, fellow, that doth dare to stop me thus upon the king's highway? said the lean man, in a dry, sour voice. "'Pity a poor beggar,' quoth Robin. "'Give me but a farthing to buy me a piece of bread.' "'Now, out upon thee,' snarled the other. "'Such sturdy rogues as thou art better safe in the prisons, "'or dancing upon nothing, with a hempen collar about his neck, "'than strolling the highways so freely.' "'Tut, tut,' quoth Robin. "'How thou talkest! "'Thou and I are brother's man. "'Do we not both take from the poor people?' "'that which they can ill spare? "'Do we not make our livings by doing naught of any good? "'Do we not both live without touching palm to honest work? "'Have we either of us ever rubbed thumbs "'over honestly gained farthings? "'Go to. "'We are brothers, I say. "'Only thou art rich, and I am poor. "'Wherefore, I pray thee once more, "'give me a penny.' "'Dost thou prate so to me, sirrah?' "'cried the corn and grocer in a rage. "'Now I will have thee soundly whipped "'if I ever catch thee in any town "'with a lock and lay hold of thee. "'As for giving thee a penny, "'I swear to thee that I have not so much "'as a single groat in my purse. "'Were Robin Hood himself to take me, "'he might search me from crown to heel "'without finding the smallest piece of money upon me. "'I trust I am too sly to travel so nigh to Sherwood "'with money in my pouch "'and that thief at large in the woods.' Then Mary Robin looked up and down, as if to see that there was no one nigh, and then, coming close to the corning-grocer, he stood on tiptoe, and spake in his ear, "'Thinkest thou in sooth that I am a beggar, as I seem to be? Look upon me. There is not a grain of dirt upon my hands, or my face, or my body. Didst thou ever see a beggar so? I tell thee I am as honest a man as thou art. Look, friend.' Here he took the purse of money from his breast, and showed it to the dazzled eyes of the and grocer, the bright golden pieces. "'Friend, these rags serve but to hide an honest rich man from the eyes of Robin Hood.' "'Put up thy money, lad,' cried the other quickly. "'Art thou a fool, to trust to beggars' rags to shield thee from Robin Hood? "'If he caught thee, he would strip thee to the skin, for he hates a lusty beggar, as he doth a fat priest or those of my kind.' "'Is it indeed so?' quoth Robin. "'Had I known this, mayhap I had not come hereabouts in this garb. "'But I must go forward now, as much depends upon my journeying. "'Where goest thou, friend?' "'I go to Grantham,' said the corn and grocer. "'But I shall lodge tonight at Newark, if I can get so far upon my way.' "'Why, I myself am on the way to Newark,' quoth Mary Robin, "'so that—' "'as two honest men are better than one in roads "'beset by such fellow as this Robin Hood, "'I will jog along with thee, "'if thou hast no dislike to my company.' "'Why, as thou art an honest fellow and a rich fellow?' "'said the corn and grocer. "'I mind not thy company. "'But, in sooth, I have no great fondness for beggars.' "'Then forward,' quoth Robin, "'for the day wanes, "'and it will be dark ere we reach Newark.' "'So off they went, "'the lean horse hobbling along as before.' and Robin running beside, albeit he was so quaking with laughter within him that he could hardly stand. Yet he dared not laugh aloud, lest the corning-grocer should suspect something. So they travelled along till they reached a hill just on the outskirts of Sherwood. Here the lean man checked his lean horse into a walk, for the road was steep, and he wished to save his nag's strength, having far to go ere he reached Newark. Then he turned in his saddle and spake to Robin again, "'for the first time since they had left the cross. "'Here is thy greatest danger, friend,' said he, "'for here we are nighest to that vile thief Robin Hood, "'and the place where he dwells. "'Beyond this we come again to the open, honest country, "'and so are more safe in our journeying.' "'Alas!' quoth Robin. "'I would that I had as little money by me as thou hadst, "'for this day I fear that Robin Hood will get every groat of my wealth.' Then the other looked at Robin, and winked cunningly. Quoth he, "'I tell thee, friend, that I have nigh as much by me as thou hast, but it is hidden so that never a knave in Sherwood could find it.' "'Thou dost surely jest,' quoth Robin. "'How could one hide so much as two hundred pounds upon his person?' "'Now, as thou art so honest a fellow, and withal, so much younger than I am, I will tell thee that which I have told to no man in all the world before.' "'and thus thou mayst learn never again to do such a foolish thing "'as to trust a beggar's garb to guard thee against Robin Hood. "'Seest thou these clogs upon my feet?' Yea," quoth Robin, laughing. "'Truly, they are large enough for any man to see. "'Even were his sight as foggy as that of Peter Patter, "'who could never see when it was time to go to work.' "'Peace, friend,' said the corn and grocer. "'But this is no matter for jesting.' The soles of these clogs are not what they seem to be, for each one is a sweet little box, and by twisting the second nail from the toe, the upper of the shoe and part of the sole lifts up like a lid, and in the spaces within are four score and ten bright golden pounds in each shoe, all wrapped in hair, to keep them from clinking and so telling tales of themselves. When the corning grocer had told this, Robin broke into a roar of laughter, and— laying his hands upon the bridle-rein, stopped the sad-looking nag. Stay, good friend, quoth he, between bursts of merriment. Thou art the slyest old fox that e'er I saw in all my life. In the soles of his shoes! If ever I trust a poor seeming man again, shave my head and paint it blue. A corn-factor, a horse-jockey, an estate agent, and a jackdaw for cunningness, say I. And he laughed again, Till he shook in his shoes with mirth. All this time the corning grocer had been staring at Robin, his mouth agape with wonder. Art thou mad, quoth he, to talk in this way, so loud, and in such a place? Let us forward, and save thy mirth till we're safe and sound at Newark. Nay, quoth Robin, the tears of merriment wet on his cheeks, on second thoughts, I go no farther than here, for I have good friends hereabouts. Thou mayst go forward if thou dost list, thou sweet pretty fellow, but thou must go forward barefoot, for I am afraid that thy shoes must be left behind. Off with them. Off with them, friend, for I tell thee that I have taken a great fancy to them. At these words the corn factor grew pale as a linen napkin. Who art thou that talkest so? said he. Then Mary Robin laughed again, and quoth he, Men hereabouts call me Robin Hood. So, sweet friend, thou hast best do my bidding and give me thy shoes. Wherefore hasten I prithee, or else thou wilt not get the fair Newark town till after dark. At the sound of the name Robin Hood, the corn factor quaked with fear, so that he had to seize his horse by the mane to save himself from falling off its back. Then straightway, and without more words, he stripped off his clogs and let them fall upon the road. Robin, still holding the bridle-rein, stooped and picked them up. Then he said, Sweet friend, I am used to ask those that I have dealings with to come and feast at Sherwood with me. I will not ask thee, because of our pleasant journey together. For I tell thee, there be those in Sherwood that would not be so gentle with thee as I have been. The name of corn and grocer leaves a nasty taste upon the tongue of all honest men. Take a fool's advice of me, and come no more... "'and come no more so close to Sherwood, "'or mayhap some day thou mayst of a sudden "'find a cloth-yard shaft betwixt thy ribs. "'So with this I give thee good den.' "'Hereupon he clapped his hand to the horse's flank, "'and off went Nag and Rider. "'But the man's face was all bedewed with the sweat of fright, "'and never again, I wot, "'was he found so close to Sherwood Forest "'as he had been this day. "'Robin stood and looked after him, "'and when he was fairly gone, turned, laughing, "'and entered the forest carrying the shoes in his hand. "'That night in sweet Sherwood the red fires glowed brightly "'in wavering light on tree and bush, "'and all around sat or laid the stout fellows of the band "'to hear Robin Hood and Little John tell of their adventures. "'All listened closely, "'and again and again the woods rang with shouts of laughter. "'When all was told, Friar Tuck spoke up. "'Good master,' said he, "'Thou hast had a pretty time, "'but still I hold to my saying "'that the life of the barefoot friar "'is the merrier of the two. "'Nay,' quoth Will Stuteley, "'I hold with our master, "'that he hath had the pleasanter doings "'of the two, for he hath two stout bouts and quarter-staff "'this day. "'So some of the band held with Robin Hood "'and some with Little John. "'As for me, I think. "'But I leave it with you "'to say for yourselves.' What you hold with. Thanks for joining us for Robin Hood Turns Beggar. Just one more great story from The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood by Howard Pyle. We always appreciate reviews for 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, and your reviews help new listeners to give us a try. We also appreciate your sharing our show with others. In fact, I'm going to ask something of you. We're asking that you kindly introduce one or more of our podcast shows to a friend or acquaintance and then help them to or show them how they can download them to their Apple or Android devices. This is a great way to help our show to grow and to support our efforts here. Your sharing our show with others in that manner is the best and fastest way that we grow. So we would appreciate you doing that and I'll offer you a huge thank you. Thanks for being great fans and listeners of our shows. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. This is 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon.